Welcome in to the Ots and Audibles podcast, pregame edition, Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack, getting you ready to go for this Friday night, 540 tilt between Oregon and Oregon State. Uh, this is one of the longest standing rivalries in college football. It's tentatively for now the last game played in this long series uh, between rivals that are 45 ish minutes apart. Um, I imagine they will play again when we don't know. I imagine it'll be relatively soon, but next year, maybe beyond that, who knows? Um, it's a, it's a series guys that like Oregon has the better players. They've got the better depth. They've got the better resources year over year. And yet, in the last four, it's two and two. Uh, in the last four, it's come down to basically a, almost a one-score game every single time. The only time it wasn't was in Eugene in 2021 when it was a 38-29 victory. Oregon, Oregon was up big in that game, and then Oregon State kind of roared back late. But um, the last few years, it's been a very close game that – defies what should happen on paper because Oregon has the better players yet. This is a series where you kind of have to throw that out. Reminds me of, and I remember like the late nineties, early two thousands. This is kind of what happened where it just went back and forth. And whoever was hosting almost one each game, like we're kind of back to that place here, which is, I won't say it's nice because Oregon fans would, of course, like to win every single one of these and win all of them like the way, like they did when Willie Taggart was here. I would guess that's one of Taggart's one saving graces. He still has the most lopsided win in the in the series history yeah. back in in seventeen. But you know, from a, just a pure football competitive game perspective, like these last four games have been that, and that's what I think will be the case this Saturday. We talked about it already a couple times this week. When you look at the Beavers, and we're going to get a little more in depth here with what we see. Um, with them today, this is not a pushover team by any means. There's a reason this team has been ranked every week for the entirety of the season and that they have three losses by a combined eight points. Like, this is not a bad football team by any means. This is a very good football team that is a, a play here or there away from being in a little bit different situation and, and possibly pushing for a lot greater things than they are um, this Friday. But, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's going to be a game, and I think it's going to be very competitive, and we can get into some of the matchups why. Um, does Oregon have the better players? I think collectively, yes. But like as we'll get into, Oregon State has some has some dogs. They have some studs on this football roster, and it's it's not like this is a team that lacks NFL players. There are a lot of Sunday guys playing for the Beavers, and, and you're going to get a sense of that, I think, on Friday. Damn good team this Oregon State team is, and uh, you know it may pain some Oregon fans to to hear that, and considering like the the little brother, big brother memo. Um, but this is like Matt went through. This has been a very close series. These teams have been, uh, despite potentially not being evenly matched on paper, the games have played ev like evenly matched. So that's exactly what I expect this time around. Um, I don't expect either team to blow the other team out of the water. Uh, we went through the the numbers on yesterday's podcast about you know only two times since '93 have Oregon State won inside of Autzen Stadium. Um, while history is certainly on that side, like. This is going to be a close game. Like Oregon State, they have they have nothing to lose. Like that's the other side of this that um, I'm sure we might get into, or we can just get into now. Like if they win 
if Oregon State wins, you know, they knock Oregon out of the Pac-12 championship game. Theoretically, Arizona would have to beat Arizona State. I feel good about that. And then they knock Oregon out of a potential college football playoff berth, um, potentially out of a national championship berth. Like all these dominoes that could fall down um, could happen at the hands of Oregon State for the second straight year. And that's the fun thing about this game is for two straight years now, it's had some real legitimate um, uh, I can't I can't speak right now, but it's had some legitimate uh uh, uh, consequences for Oregon losing. There we go. I can finally talk uh, a bit too early for me. Um, and for Oregon, they have everything on the line. If they win, like I just went through, they go to the Pac-12 championship game with a date against Washington for the second time this season, looking to avenge their loss from earlier in the year. And the college football playoff berth on the line in that game. Um, and, but Oregon State is here inside Hudson Stadium to try to prevent that. And we all saw what happened last year. Um, Oregon players see it every single day in the locker room. <laughs> and I think that's a good reminder of, of not to underestimate just because you have the NFL talent or you have like the proverbial Heisman favorite and Bo Nix, or you have Troy Franklin, all these guys who have set records this season and you've put up 30, 30 points in every game this year, not to underestimate, um, how good this Jonathan Smith led team is, how fundamentally sound they are, how physical they are and how much they just want to beat the snot out of their rivals in Oregon. So I'm excited. This should be a good one. Yeah, nothing nothing would please Oregon State more than ruining Oregon's season. Um, we had Angie Machado on yesterday, and you know she's, she mentioned that expectations were high for this team. She thought they were going to go 11-1, and one, and that's obviously not going to happen. They're not going to make the call. The, Pac-12 championship game, but she noted that like a lot of that can get righted by beating Oregon and two years in a row ruining the season. Um, it's Oregon State has not won at Austin since 2007. Um, to Eric's point of you know the, it's gone back and forth the home teams like they haven't won here in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, this feels like maybe one of their best teams to come into Watson in a long time. I would argue yeah. probably the 08 or the, the 09 teams or the, the 09 team. Um, yeah. There are, there are odd years when they play in Eugene, but the 09 team, that was the battle for the roses. That was the game that was in December um, freezing cold. That was probably the best team that they have had since this one. I don't know if this one's better than that, or, or maybe they are. I, I don't know, but it's on Saturday um, or Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they're coming in with what their best team since that year. And that game was down to the wire to the very end. It, it took a Jeremiah Masoli truck of a DB to, to get a first down on fourth down to ice that game. Um, and much like that game, you know, a lot of it is going to depend upon who can stop who are uh, you know, moving the football in the short yardage situations and short yard situations. I say that for Oregon with Bucky, whether he's running the football or the checkdowns you know, that, that Bo relies on so much. And for Oregon state, you know, it's, it's, you know, they're two headed rushing attack and they've got two dudes that Martinez is a stud. Um, probably the most underrated Offensive player in the Pac-12, in my opinion, uh, doesn't get nearly the attention that he he should. Uh, but then when he has to come out, Fenwick is is pretty darn good himself. Um, 
they're bruising type running backs. And even Isaiah Newell, when he has to come in, their third back, he is a big dude as well. Um, Jared talked about the offensive lines, like up front for Oregon State. Like they've got NFL guys. Even with Bloomfield out at guard, their tackles are, are tremendous. And this is going to be a huge test for Oregon's front line. This will be probably one of the better teams that they've faced all year up front. Yeah, I wanted to highlight that um, good transition. Their right tackle, Talisi Fuaga, top-rated offensive lineman in the Pac-12 by PFF. I know people don't like it when we bring up PFF grades, but offensive line play, this is one of the areas where it's like I don't <clears> – <throat> there's not a whole lot of other things to base it on, if, especially if you're going to get into an individual. So – I guess maybe we lean on these too much, um, but Fuaga, like much higher graded than anyone else in this conference along the offensive line, like significantly better. One of the top tackles in the country. His grade, by the way, is about 89. And for reference, the next best in the conference is, is 82. Um, Jackson Powers Johnson is is right in that range, is kind of one of the next top guys, according to PFF in this conference. Um, and it's not just Fuaga either. You look at the way they're graded across the board. These are highly considered players. Bloomfield while a really, really good player was was their fourth best offensive lineman based upon PFF's marks. So yeah, this is a this is a group up here. I mean, this is as close as, as Oregon will see to um I'd say like a collection of NFL guys. Like I think Fuaga's got like a high ceiling in terms of when he'll be drafted. Some of these other guys will will certainly get looks. Tanner Miller's a really good player. Um like this is gonna be a big test. And we've talked about you know, the the challenge this week of of slowing down the run game. And we focused obviously on Martinez because that's where you should start with how talented of a runner he is. But the offensive line is what keeps it going, right? And that's the same thing you see when you watch Oregon play. Um, I, I think this is kind of a fun one probably for both offensive lines of feeling like, you know, these are two of uh, – I think Washington is also um, a Joe Moore semifinalist. I think those three schools were all – I think Oregon they were, yeah. Washington. Yeah, thanks, Jared. Um so you're looking at two of the best three offensive lines in the conference here that are facing off, and and that's that's part of the challenge. It's not just like they've got this awesome running back. He makes it happen. This isn't Jaden Ott all over again where it's like, man, if Ott can just break a couple of plays. No, it's it's a group up front that's going to pro- you know provide real challenges for Oregon's front, and and I'm really excited to see how it plays out. You know, We saw what happened last year, and it's a lot of the same personnel pieces up front for, for Oregon State from, from a year ago, and we saw the way that game finished, and you know Oregon's going to be extremely motivated. Those guys up front, and a lot of them are back, are going to be extremely motivated to, to rectify what took place last year at, uh, at Reser. A lot of them are back, and there's a lot of new guys too. And there's a lot of uh, different-looking guys as well. Uh, I talked about that on the Mailbag podcast where you know Oregon beefed up this offseason. They got a lot bigger. Uh, all the linebackers gained 20 pounds. Uh, they brought in Justin Jacobs from Iowa, who is – more than equipped to play the downhill run scheme. That is what it, that is the Big Ten West. Um, Iowa, again, not scoring, but playing great defense against the Big Ten West this season. Um, they are better equipped. I think you know, a lot of times last season there were moments where you could tell the, the, the lack of size and strength and speed inside the front seven um, against certain opponents. And last year against Oregon State, that was certainly the case. This season, Oregon has, you know, really amped up their production from the linebacker position, from the defensive line position, with the additions of like guys like Brandon or Brandon Norris is already here, but guys like Jordan Birch, um, bringing in 
uh, other talents like Justin Jacobs, like I talked about, but then beefing up the interior, like Casey Rogers was a guy who added 20 pounds. Uh, Brandon Dorless stayed the same weight, but added muscle. Uh, Jordan Birch is just a, an, a crazy athlete. He's a, he was on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. I think he was a top five guy in that. So there are, or I would say Oregon is better equipped this time around to go against this Oregon state front, but being better equipped doesn't necessarily translate into winning that matchup or winning the battle. Like this is still going to be uh, a lot of fun inside the trenches to watch because like Eric just went through, it's a damn good offensive line for Oregon state and probably the best one that Oregon has faced this year. I would put them ahead of Washington. I would put them ahead of Utah. Um, I think that they're really, really good. And, Fuaga is a tackle. Um, <clears throat> if you go back and watch Oregon State and Washington from this past week, like he was moving people around. And they Washington did a really good job, and they put Braylon Trice on the other side of the line because Fuaga was doing a good job handling him on his own um, with an occasional chip from Martinez or Fenwick or somebody like that. But um, they put Trice on the other side of the field, and he started to dominate. And you know, with Oregon's defensive line rotations, I'm interested to see what they find out is going to be the right measure, what to do to get some pocket pressure on DJ Oyongalale. And maybe that is just, hey, I'm going to put our best pass rusher not on that side of the field. And that would be a pretty good idea if you ask me, because uh, he can ch he can change the game as an offensive lineman. And there are very few of those inside the Pac-12 and basically inside the country. So that's going to be a point of emphasis. How How is Oregon going to get pressure against this offensive line, whether it be simulated, whether it be guys just winning their one-on-one -on -one matchups? Um, they need to get pressure on DJ and force them into third and longs like I've been talking about all week. If you get pressure in third and longs, I think that's a good recipe for success if you're Oregon's defense. We should also note that um, this time around, the Ducks – are not the school dealing with coaching rumors. Um, Jonathan Smith is kind of the, not kind of, football scoop earlier reported that he is Michigan State's top target and that they believe they can get him. Um, Jonathan Smith went on, I think, the John Canzano show this week. And, you know, he was honest. He made his impressions on Oregon state and how he likes it here. But he also like, didn't say no, that he was like committed to Oregon state long-term that just his agents doing his job and fielding the offers and seeing what's out there because that's what he should be doing. Yeah. Um, he was incredibly honest. That was a, yeah. like, I've never seen an answer like that. He's like, yeah, no, I pay my agent a lot. So he better do like his, yeah. his stupid job and go find me some contract offers. I've um, never seen a coach talk like that. And you factor in, last week's game where they lost an emotional one um, that was conveyed by Angie uh, on yesterday's show. Like they're going to be amped up, but what happens when they face their first test of adversity here? Um, there's a lot going on beyond just what's happening between the lines for Oregon state. There's the conference realignment stuff. There's the, the rumors with their head coach and they're coming off a very emotional loss that, um, Oregon came off a very easy win. You know, they rested all of their starters, you know, Saturday afternoon. And, you know, they landed in Eugene probably around the time that that Washington game was getting close to ending. And, yeah. you know, that 
that has to factor in at some much, some point. How much? I don't know. But th- these are two teams that feels like they're just kind of going in different directions right now. And how quickly can Oregon State kind of flush that and and lock in? I think they will, but it has to be brought up at some point, at least. With the Smith part, I just wonder if he decides to strike when the iron is hot, considering all the question marks around Oregon State going forward. And, you know, I I think of Matt Campbell, the Iowa State coach several years ago, just being like the hottest of hot names. Remember that? Everybody wanted him. And then he hung around. And now it's like he's probably stuck in Ames for a long time. No one wants Matt Campbell. Right. So, you know, if you're Jonathan Smith, you go – Gosh, I'm, and I think Jonathan Smith's a really, really good football coach. I think anybody listening to this objectively knows he's a really good football coach. Has he had some tough decisions? Of course, Dan Lanning's had tough decisions. Do I think the, I still can't get over that game against Arizona, why they went for a fake field goal to end the half, where they were and what the play call was. But like, regardless, like he's a really good football coach and you just do wonder, thinking out loud here, if he goes like, let's survey the landscape and Michigan State's in a, actually isn't a conference going forward. That's a program that it's not that long ago was competing for college football playoff, right? You know, birth when Mel Tucker first got there and got that massive contract that created some of these problems for the Spartans. And I don't have any doubts he could succeed there either um, or, or in a lot of different places. So yeah, that's, that's something that I'm sure is on Oregon state fans minds as it is on like Oregon's Oregon fans have been through this too recently with, with Mario Cristobal. You just think about the way that yeah. season ended in Las Vegas, Matt and I were both down there and like the talk around the town was not about that football game as much as it was what's going on with Mario Cristobal. And when that's the case, that can cause real problems. So we'll see how well Oregon State handles that, how their players handle that, how much they're even aware of that. Um, But they can't be completely ignorant to the fact that those rumors are at least starting to circulate. And as Jared said, like he's on record saying some stuff that didn't exactly shut it down. Like he didn't take the Dan Landing approach and just yeah, and can't blame him. I appreciate the way Smith did it. Then, have you guys seen the videos of uh, Jeff Trailer, the UTSA head coach, interviewing? Yeah, he just did the deflections. Like, I can't believe you're asking me about that, yes. not about my Jeez. 14 seniors. That, like, yeah, yeah, that is not a good look. But I mean, for for Jonathan Smith, like, I at least appreciate it. Like, and I yeah. I can't blame him for for the reasons Eric went through. Like, Michigan State is in a conference. Um, he's going to get a payday. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding what Oregon State is going to do in the next couple of years, as is Washington State. Like, um, there are obviously going to be more jobs that come open. But Jake Dickert at Washington State, like. You know, if he's getting like like what Jonathan Smith said, he's getting millions of dollars a year, and he's paying his agent a lot of money. Like, uh, if if it wouldn't surprise me if he was looking not looking around actively, but you know, fielding offers. Like, yeah, okay, well, that I would actually get to coach in X conference, and that's financial security, it's financial stability. Um, you can continue to move through the ranks if you're Jonathan Smith. If you put the, together the types of season that is, seasons that he has at Oregon State at Michigan State. That's a lot different. You're going to get an incredible amount of national praise as a head coach, and you know it. And he's going to get a lot of funding too. Like Phoenix owners, Phoenix Suns owner Matt Ishby is like a an alumni there. They've got a strong alumni base. They got a lot of money. Like he'll be fine there too. But if you're Oregon State, like I think this is the first time today when Football Scoop reported that that um, it's been a legitimate rumor. Like. 
there's been some kind of reporting where it's like, oh, like Jonathan Smith would be a great candidate for Michigan State or uh, Mississippi State, Zach Arnett going down. But Football Scoop is on top of it. And this is the first time I've seen like a legitimate, like, yeah, this is this is their top target. Like they talk to other people, but Jonathan Smith is the guy. And, you know, like once it starts to leak, you know, it's going to start to flow. Like there's going to yep. be more things that pr- probably come out before game time. Um, and I'm interested to see what it's going to be like before game time because last season when Kenny Dillingham was – uh, a candidate for the Arizona State head coaching job. There weren't a lot of, there weren't a lot of leaks, and then they came later in the day, and then it just fell out of the fishbowl. Like everything came out, and it's like, oh, Kenny Dillingham is gone. The game ended 25 minutes ago. He is now gone. He is going to Arizona State to be the head coach. And you know, pregame the the line shifted from. I don't know, like Oregon was only a couple point favorite. And then all of a sudden, Oregon State was a two or three point favorite. And That's we were right. all like, what? what? Right. Why? Like, is did somebody not make the trip? It's Bo Nix not playing. Like, what's going on here? And then afterwards, you're like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. So I checked the line. No movement. I'm sure it will move. I'm sure it'll go up. If this gets, yeah, if this gets more legs from guys like Bruce Feldman or Stuart Mandel who start talking about it, then it'll probably get something. All right. Um, from an injury standpoint, we say this every week. Um, Oregon is about as healthy as they possibly can be. Um, Jalil Florence was not at practice when we were there on Tuesday, but that doesn't mean he wasn't at practice Wednesday or Thursday. Um, I think all three of us kind of expect that he plays. Um, this is a common occurrence, but outside of Noah Whittington, there really isn't anybody else that I don't mean this meanly, but of importance. Like uh, uh, there's guys hurt. There's guys that are dealing with stuff, but they aren't players that would play in this game if it was close. We, we should acknowledge, and I know Jared said it on uh, on our Tuesday show, but we've not got any new information because this week is unique because of the short week with the game being played on right. a Friday rather than a Saturday. We only had one day at practice, so it was Tuesday, so we weren't in there on Wednesday. So we don't have an update. Whatever we said on Tuesday, that's still what we know to this point. So, um, but yeah, uh, you know, the thing, just, just briefly on Florence, I think the thing that you want him out there, he's clearly their second best yes. corner. I don't think there's any question. Oregon also has a lot of other long rangey guys. And one of the things I've been thinking about with this matchup, and I know we talked about it a little bit earlier, is the contested catch and the advantage Oregon should theoretically have there with their size, like Kyrie Jackson, Triquez Bridges, Don, even Dante Manning, uh, Julio Florence. Those guys are all like long rangey guys. I know, I think Dante Manning's listed at 5'11, but. His wingspan, he told us, is like close to seven feet. You know, those all those guys are long, rangy guys, and that's just not the body type that Oregon State has at receiver. And and that's not to say Oregon State can't win matchups because they can certainly outrun those guys and run themselves free. But if this is a game where Oregon is able to, you know, keep keep in contact with these guys and play good coverage, the ball gets in the air. This is not Roma Dunze. You know, this is not a guy who's going to go out leap you and take the ball from you a lot of the time. So. Um, that's one of the things I've been thinking about. Now, that's not to diminish Florence's role. It's just to say I think they have a couple of other guys out there they could throw in there who 
would also be able to at least stay hip to hip and and make it difficult on those guys. Um, so I, I, you know, we'll see what happens with Jaleel. We'll, we'll have updates, you know, an hour or so before kickoff on Friday evening. But um, I think they can they can manage without him, and we know that in part because they've had to so much this season because of injury. Where he's how many second halves? How many games has he finished this year? It's not. It's, it's not, not a lot. Yeah, it's not. It's probably about half the games, maybe. Maybe even less. I wonder, I wonder how much of that is like what happened last week, though, where, hey, we know we can get away with you not playing this second half. We sure. have the lead. I think there's yeah. only a handful of those, though. Like, he's been hurt, and, and he, uh, he started the second half against Arizona State and then hurt something and then went out of the game. So even he would have been pulled if he were healthy. But even still, he didn't finish that game more to injury than just being pulled. So, I mean, it's it's happened a lot. I can think of at least three games off the top of my head, maybe four off the top of my head, where he's been pulled due to injury rather than just finishing the yeah. game. So, but I agree with you, Eric. Like that's one of the the defensive points for Oregon. Um, you know, Oregon State's receivers. I think we've talked about it on the podcast. Are all not tall. They're you know five nine and shorter and. You know, that can work for an offense, and it has at points for Oregon State because they can, like Eric said, they can run themselves free of coverage. Um, they do a good job scheming them open and creating screens, creating opportunities for them to get into open space and just try to make guys miss on the other side. Um, but if you're Oregon and you're a predominant man-versus-man team, it's going to be a, a difficult matchup for sure because of the speed that these guys possess. But you do have length and you do have size and you do have speed. And you can probably, if you're Dante Manning and Kyrie Jackson and Nico Reed, I think is going to be an important part of this defense this week. Like they, they need to keep up speed wise and keep a, a tight window throw because that's what you need to force DJ Oyungle into doing is trying to throw into tight windows because against Washington under pressure and into tight windows, it didn't exactly always work. And, Again, I've been on record multiple times. I love DJ Uyunglele. I think he's great, but he hasn't been that great this season. And there have been a lot of games. There's been at least three or four games where he's been at like 50% completion percentage or worse. Um, there's only been a handful of games where he's even touched the 70s. So he is not the most efficient passer. He does not have the best touch on the ball. Um, so if you can keep it to be close, tight-knit man coverage and force him into throwing into, into tight windows, uh, I have to like that advantage for Oregon because they are not the playmaking receivers like Eric went through, like Jalen McMillan and Polk and Roma Dunze of Washington, where they're going to win a one-on-one -on -one matchup just because they're going to leap over you. They're six feet tall or taller, and they're just more athletic and have better hands. Like These are going to be contested catches that if they make them for Oregon State – good on them that's just how it goes but tight windows forcing that play man coverage and getting after the quarterback i think are you know what i talked about a little bit earlier of getting to the quarterback are really important in this game all right we're gonna take a quick break when we come back we'll dive into some of our bold picks for this Welcome back to the Yachts and Audibles podcast. I want to remind you guys the best way to support the show is signing up for a VIP membership at duckterritory.com. You can do so today and save 75% off an annual membership. Get billed $26.85 one time 
and get access for the next 12 months to duckterritory.com. Oregon's got the number six class in the country for recruiting for football. They're the number six team in the country for the college football playoffs. Men's and women's basketball seasons have kicked off. Jared's baseball coverage will start here in a couple of months. We'll have softball coverage this season as well. Uh, you can get all of that by signing up for an annual membership at duckterritory.com for $26.85, 75% off. All right, uh, let's dive into some game picks here. Um, let me pull up the score prediction updates. Uh, last week, Jared and Eric went one and three, and I went two and two uh, game picks. Jared and I are tied. Eric is two behind, so he's still there. He still has a chance. We've we've seen us, uh, one of us or two of us at one time even, go 0 for 4. Um, so there's an opportunity for Eric to catch us. Game prediction leaderboards, uh, Eric and Jared are 11 and 0 straight up. Uh, and I am 10 and one straight up. And then uh, we are, we all have different numbers from a prediction against the spread standing. Um, okay. Offensive team prediction here. Um, I'm very high on Oregon's offense in this game. I, I think it's going to be one of the bigger games of the season for them. Um, I went back and looked at, what's kind of like the highest number Oregon has put up against the Beavers. Um, dating back to 2016, the number is 577. I don't think they're going to hit 577 um, in this game. Uh, that that number came in Lula Taggart's year of 2017. OSU's most yards allowed this year is 492, which came week two against Fresno State. Um, 492 seems too easy for these two gentlemen that I am making these picks for. Um, so I figured out I'll just go in the middle 534 of total offense for Oregon. I think they put up the highest total yards allowed by Beaver by the Beaver defense. Uh, it won't be that 577 number, but it will be kind of close 534 for Oregon's offense. Bull Matt is back, huh? There you go, <laughs> back at it. Um, this I think this one's pretty bold actually. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I, I, um, I was looking through explosive pass plays in part because I was looking at Oregon recently has done, had so many the last two games. Um, Ducks have had four pass plays of 50 or more the last two weeks and two more of 40 or more. So that's like, that's, that's, that's six in two games, which is a large number. Oregon State's allowed two all season over 50. So I'm going with, and I changed the number just to be even more bold. Originally I said one pass play over 50, but that seemed like I was being easy on myself. So I'm going two pass plays over 50 yards on Saturday, be three straight games of them accomplishing that. Um, and again, Oregon state's allowed two all season. They're one of the best teams nationally in, in limiting those explosive pass plays And Washington just last week, I believe had none. I know that was a torrential downpour in the first half and not really a pass friendly day, but um, I think Oregon's going to throw the ball in this game. Um, that's, that's sort of where my mind is at looking at this one. We can get into we'll get into our score predictions and why we think the game plays out the way we do later. But I think there might be a little bit more past success than um, than some people are focusing in on this one. Yeah, no, I I agree with that, um, Matt. The Fresno State was from last season. The most ah, that they've allowed. Yeah, that was twenty twenty two. 
most that they've allowed this season is 528 yards to Washington State. That's when uh, Cameron Ward. Wow, I'm still higher than that. 422. Yeah. No, you're still good. Um, uh, this isn't really a team stat. I want to do like a total passing yard stat, but that's more of like, oh, Bo Nix is going to do this. Um, so I guess I'll save that for my player one. Uh, I had another yardage stat. I'm not as, um, I guess, as confident as Matt is in terms of how the offense is going to perform with four, 530 plus yards. Um, I don't think that they're going to hit 500 yards, but I do think they're going to put up the second highest total of the season against Oregon State's defense of over five, 453 yards. Um, I, I just, I think that Oregon State's defense is still good. I, I think that they have some problems in defending the pass. Um, I think they're like in the 60s for defending the pass in the country. And Oregon in the last couple of weeks has just dominated through the passing department with Bo Nix. He's thrown for 400 yards or close to it in the three straight weeks. So uh, I think that they're going to put up numbers there, like Eric talked about in the passing department, um, over 453 yards. I can't get to the 500. I just don't think it's going to happen. All right. Offensive player. I'll stick with my original appreciation. I'm going to go with Tez Johnson here. I think that Troy Franklin's going to be the obvious number one target for Oregon here. Um, but I think Tez is going to surprise some people. I think he's, yeah, he's, I don't think he's going to hit a thousand yards this year, but he's going to finish the season with a lot of good stuff. And again, going against Oregon State for the first time in his career. You know, I have him at six plus catches, 85 plus yards, and over one and a half touchdowns. Ooh. So I, yeah, I think he's going to be the uh, beneficiary of a lot of coverage towards Troy Franklin. Um, I have a neat little stat to share Shoot. Um, that I think will benefit Tez and even like maybe Gary Bryant. Um, Oregon State has 154 missed tackles this season through 11 games. So that's like, you know, like 13 or 14 yeah. a game. It's a good number. Is it? 13 is not bad for an average. Would you like to know how many Oregon has? Much fewer. 78. Half of it. Oregon Oregon is like the top tackle team on PFF. So this is is an opportunity. If you watch that Washington game, and again, the weather certainly didn't help, but... um, you know, there were a lot of opportunities to make tackles either in the backfield or stop a game on Dylan Johnson, and uh, Oregon State did not. And I think that that could really help Tez and try to get to my numbers here of over 85 yards, just breaking tackles and turning a six-yard gain into a 15-yard gain or something like that. So give me Tez as a player. Were you thinking of doing a Bo Nix passing yard stat? I was, yeah, because I think that's going to be I think cool. it's going to be a, the the narrative after the game. I'm really happy you didn't take that because I spent a dumb amount of research on this one, and I was going to mm. be really bummed if I had to change it. I was just going to share the information right after. Um, so I went and I was I looked all the way back to 2009 because that was about as far back as I wanted to go. I'll be honest, college football stats that's as far back as they go is back to 09. Um, no one's even come close to having four consecutive 350 yard passing games, which is where Bo I'm predicting Bo will go. Um, he's had three in a row over 350. Again, this is quite bold, I think. Um, yeah, nobody back to Masoli had done three in a row. Uh, Mariota did two in a row and then three out of four and then was 15 yards short in 2013. So the year before his Heisman Trophy, he got really close a couple of times. But nobody's done four over 350. So I'm predicting that. And then the other part that um, was kind of interesting looking through this is currently Bo has six games of 350 or more yards in his two years at Oregon. 
Um, do you know how many the previous seven Oregon starting quarterbacks had combined? Two. It's it's more. Four. It's more. It's eight, which I still thought was a, which is impressive because because we're going back like fifteen years here. Um, yeah. Anthony Brown had none. Not a shock. Uh, Justin Herbert had two, and none of them were his senior year, by the way. Um, Vernon Adams had two. Mariota had three, and again, they were all in that four-game span there. Uh, Darren Thomas had one, and Jeremiah Masoli, again, shocker, didn't didn't do it. So um, I was just trying to put into perspective how special it would be if he gets there. This is something that, again, I only went back to 09. Um, I didn't want to go by a game by game all the way back to you know the, the 80s or something, but I'm going to guess. can't that, imagine those happen, though. I don't think so, because there might have been a couple different, of – College football was different back then. Yeah, exactly. So – Anyway, I think Bo Nix has a big pass and day, 350 or more through the air, and that, again, goes along with my, my two long passes for the, for the offense there. Well, I'm, I'm not going to change mine because mine's even bolder than Eric's, so I think that justifies as it being okay. I, I have Bo going for the highest passing yard total against OSU's defense this season, which is 404 yards. Um, That'd be three, three straight 400, I think, right? He would have to throw for four twenty three, Matt, against Washington State. Yeah, no, well, can't, I I checked that one. Um, oh, did individually you're talking about? Yeah, individually. Um, oh, did Washington have, like, State. Let me pull it up throw? here in a second. Um, against, yeah, he did four twenty two. Sorry, so four four hundred and twenty three yards. Um, Jeez. For for I, I had it at four hundred three. I think I got stuck on the two thousand and two. Or 2022 season, I was looking at stuff back like Eric was, and then I, whatever. I'm still sticking with it. 423 yards passing or more for Bo Nix. I, I think this is look to Eric's point of like him doing something that Oregon quarterbacks just haven't done at 350 or more. Like when people look at Bo Nix and they ask, "Well, what's his Heisman moment?" Like his Heisman moment is his consistency. He is always doing X or more every single week and yeah there is no dip and i i think you know 400 yards is a lot 423 is even more um and that's that's gonna be his moment it's not gonna be a one singular play where like we were joking at media day yesterday he strikes the post if he scores a touchdown like mario did or something but i do want to see that i do want to see him strike the post come on um, but his moment is every single week. There's no, there's no drop off. He is just good every single week. And it doesn't matter if it's against the school blind or if it's an elite defense like this one in Oregon state. So I guess now 423 or more yards. Um, yeah. All right. Deep defensive team prediction here. Um, knowing that Oregon has had this on loop all year or all week of the fourth quarter down in Corvallis or up in Corvallis, I guess I should say. Um, and you, you look at you know, the, the, the players that Oregon has gone out and added to its roster, the players that have beefed up currently on its roster from last season. Um, this team's going to be motivated to stop the run. Everything is everything in this game is built around stopping the run. If 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 you stop Oregon State's running rushing attack and and make them face second and third longs, you're going to be in an advantageous position to make big plays and ultimately win this football game. 
Um, I think Oregon – this is another Super Bowl pick. I think OSU is going to have their lowest rushing total of the season. It's 131. They did it twice this season, Arizona and Utah games. I, I think Oregon's going to basically look at the game plan that they used against Utah and say, your receivers, your tight ends do not scare us one bit. We are totally comfortable with going one-on-one press coverage and loading the box and blitzing from all over the place. And you are just not going to be able to run the football and you're going to have to throw. And we believe we'll dominate in that situation. So I think 130 or more or less from a rushing perspective for Oregon State. Uh, I think Oregon's defense shows up big time. You know, I had that one too, like a verbatim, but I had a backup that I'm excited to share just because the stats interesting more than anything, which is Oregon State is 40 of 41 in red zone opportunities of just coming away with any points, which is second nationally. I think Missouri has like 43 of 44 or something crazy. Um, that's just really, really hard to do over the course of a season. And I can't remember the exact yardage on that field goal, but it's possible the one time they didn't come away with it was that Arizona play I referenced earlier where they kicked the play, went for the fake field goal rather than taking the the points. Um, so I'm going to say that this game is one where Oregon State is is forced, kind of similar to like, remember when, like not remember, of course everybody remembers this, but the reason behind Dan chasing points so aggressively against Washington and Seattle was because he knew that they were in for it and that they were going to have to maximize scoring opportunities. I could see Jonathan Smith, who's not adverse to being aggressive, going for it a couple of times um, on fourth down in the red zone rather than taking the points just to try to keep pace and try to maximize those scoring opportunities. Um, So I'm going to say Oregon holds them um, scoreless on two red zone trips, which, again, they've only been held without points once all year. I think this one's pretty bold. Um, um, I'm not sure as bold as Matt's because 130 rushing yards. Oregon State, that's a – that's a rushing team right there, which is why I was going that route originally. But I, I, I think Oregon's defense is going to come up big in the red zone. Oregon defensively has been, by the way, pretty solid in that area of the field. Um, so, yeah, mark me down for a couple of a red zone stops where, where Oregon State comes away scoreless. I've talked about this on this podcast already. Um, I think that turnovers are going to be a problem here. And It's not going to be like it was against Washington because of the conditions. I think it's actually going to maybe be like sunny or something like that this Friday for the game. So that's crazy. Uh, It was sunny yesterday. It was crazy. So I still think, baby, I know it was wild. It was windy in the morning. Then it got really nice during the midday. Um, I still think that, you know, kind of like what Matt was talking about with the rushing attack, that Oregon is going to line up and play single man and, try to play tight coverage while loading the box. And I think they're going to apply a lot of pressure onto DJ Uyunglele. And I think that pressure is going to come with some decision-making problems. Um, And I have two or more turnovers. And I don't really expect two or more turnovers for Oregon State, Oregon's defense forces. And I don't really expect Damian Martinez to fumble the ball. Um, He's a dude. And he's he's going to give some licks, too. And if Oregon can force him to fumble, good on you. That's a tough task. But, you know, uh, in, when watching the game against Washington and then re-watching it again last night, like Kirk Herbstreit did a really good job of, like, detailing how DJ Oyungle had a second interception of how Washington's defense was trying to confuse him from the line of scrimmage where they had two high, uh, deep safeties, the high safeties at the top, and as soon as the ball was snapped, one of them just came down and jumped into the middle of the field. 
And all of a sudden, there's a one high safety. And that's a completely different look than what DJ was seeing pre-snap. And so DJ had some pressure, panicked, threw the ball over the middle. Lo and behold, there were two guys there, and one of them came away with the interception. Oregon's defense, when they are firing on all cylinders, has all of these simulated pressures where they may look like they're coming from the left and then come from the right or come from the middle, and then all of a sudden they're coming on the edges with a cornerback blitz. That's been DJ Oyonglea's biggest problem in college is his decision-making process, which, hey, that happens to a lot of quarterbacks. Oregon has one on their team currently. Like, I think Dan and Tosh are going to try to make this a very difficult game for DJ to understand from a football concept. And so with that, I think there's going to be pressure. I think there's going to be decision-making problems, and I think there's going to be two or more turnovers, however they may be. I think they're going to be interceptions for the Oregon Ducks defense. And then... We're going to go directly into players, defensive players. This could be a guy who forces some of those problems. Um, I have Justin Jacobs having a day. I have him over seven tackles. Uh Uh-oh. It looks like Matt had the same thing. Um, I did. Same number two. (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, Seven was kind of arbitrary. I just thought it sounded good. Um, I don't think he's around the ball as much as like Evan Williams is to have like 10 tackles, but – I digress. Um, like I was talking about earlier in this podcast, Justin Jacobs is a guy that Oregon brought in to be more physical, to be more athletic than the linebackers that they had last season. Be able to move east to west, north to south, do all the things that the linebackers last year couldn't do. Mainly, you know, cover running backs out of the backfield and play pass defense and stop the run when people run at them. And that's exactly what he's going to do on Friday. And I have him over seven tackles because. I just think that Oregon State, uh, despite the fact that I like their offense and they can get guys out in the perimeter and and do all those fun things and have a trick play every once in a while, they're still going to be a hard-nosed team and run right up the middle sometimes. And it's up to the linebackers to not overrun their assignments and create gaps and holes in this offensive line because they'll, like Dan said, they'll crease you and they'll be Damian Martinez for 12 to 15 yards every single time. So Justin Jacobs was brought in to be a stopper to this type of offense. Um he hasn't been he hasn't been spectacular or anything like that this season. His highest total was six tackles. That was against Washington State in his first game back. But uh, I think he shows up like he has a good day at the office on Friday. It's a good week to make a linebacker tackle prediction just based upon how agree, Oregon yeah. State plays, right? Because like most weeks we would lean on like an Evan Williams, maybe somebody like that. Steve Stevens, I think we've said a couple times. But this feels like one where that second level is going to be active. Um I'm going back to the well here. This has become this year's Bucky Irving over 100 yards, but Kyrie Jackson with an interception for the exact reasons mm. that Jared laid out not long ago and for the the point that I made earlier where I think this is a – Oregon has the bigger athletes at corner compared to the receivers they're matched up against. That means contested balls are potentially going to end up in the defensive back's hands as opposed to in the, in the more diminutive receiver's hands. So I like Kyrie here. I think he's been – not thrown at very much, which is part of the reason that I never seem to get this prediction right. I think this is my third or fourth time making it. Um, shame on me. Um, but I'm going back to it here, and I think he has a has an interception. And he hasn't had – he had two in back-to-back weeks in non-league play, but nothing in conference play. I think he closes the regular season out with with one and maybe a big day. We'll see. Uh, again, if, if the game script comes to pass where Oregon State is – is needing to throw the ball down late in this one. I could see Jared's point coming to, yeah, to fruition pretty easily in terms of multiple 
multiple interceptions with DJ trying to fit it into tight windows and Oregon's athletes just being in position to, to make plays. All right. I've pivoted. Um, I think Brandon Dorless is going to have a season high in tackles. Um, I think my first pick was Justin Jacobs, same number, same very reason as, as Jared's. Um, but I think a guy that could also make plays in this game is going to be doorless. And I thought it was interesting that he kind of opened up on Tuesday about last season. He tried to make the NFL play and not play within the system. And this season he's doing his job because he understands that if he does his job, he has teammates around him who will do theirs. And play will get made whether it's him or somebody else and that's actually he said led to a more productive season for him i think oregon state's going to try and run the football um i think they're going to fail obviously um and that's going to lead to some situations of dju having to throw the football and like what jared said we saw him make some kind of rushed throws um against washington's defense and now without bloomfield in the lineup i understand that um, your tackles are still good, but their interior play was not very good against Washington. I think Dorless has a better defensive lineman than Washington has in the interior. Um, and he's going to, whether he's making tackles on Martinez or whether he's getting to DJU, um, I, I think he's going to have a season high six tackles. I almost went career high, but then I realized it's like eight, which came against BYU a couple of years ago, I believe, um, which is too high for for my bold predictions here. So a season high, six or more tackles uh, for Brandon Dorless in this one. It's tough to your point for an, an interior defensive lineman to get eight in the game is like pretty unusual. <laughs> yeah. so six is fair. I like it. Um, all right, game picks here. Um, I've obviously said that Oregon's going to have a big day throwing the football. They're going to shut down the Oregon State defense. Um, for all week, I thought this game was going to be close. And maybe it's the optimism in me. I don't know. I think it's just going to be a blowout. I, I think Oregon is extremely upset about what happened last season and the ramifications that it had. I think this team is hyper-focused on every week playing its best football. Um, they have, by far, on paper, the better roster than what Oregon State does. yes. They have NFL players, too. Uh, Oregon has more of them. And they have better depth. This game's at home. Um, I think the fact that this is Bo Nix's last game is going to factor into it. A lot of big guys, you know, Troy Franklin, probably his last game at Oregon. Um, probably Bucky Irving's last game. Brandon Dorless's last game. It might be Jeffrey Boss's last game at Oregon. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but... Those emotions will play out. I think this team wants to see Washington. This team knows, feels like they're the best team in the conference. They're going to show it yet again. Um, this isn't going to be close. Oregon's going to win 49-17. Uh, it's going to be one of those statement games where all day Saturday you see the highlights uh, from Friday night. Well, let's check back into Eugene. You know, This team did this. you, know, you got to keep pace with the Ducks because they, they looked really good. And you think Bo kind of solidifies some of that Heisman talk too? Yes. Yeah. I'm not quite as bullish as Matt. Um, 
I've gone back and forth, and, and unfortunately, I was asked to make a score prediction on a for the Beaver Blitz Q and A earlier this week, and I've already made it. And I feel like I should just be a man of my word, even though even though I'm a little more confident than the score prediction I made um, the other day, which was 35 to 24 Oregon. Uh, so not a cover. Um, again, I made this Monday. Part of the reason this condensed week, man, I feel like I was doing too much too soon. So I, I'm going to apologize for that because um, I do think there's a high likelihood this game is more lopsided than that. And then for those unfamiliar, we just made these bold predictions. And I was like, Oregon State's not going to do anything. And Oregon's going to do all these things. Like those are, I don't know how the rest of these guys kind of put their score predictions together, but I kind of separate those. Those are just kind of like fun things to maybe happen that could happen. And then the game picks is a little bit separated. So just to clarify that, because if you're going like Bo's going to throw for 350, Oregon's going to have 250-yard passes, there's going to be turnovers, Oregon State's not going to score in the red zone. How is this an 11-point game? All very valid questions. But um, I, I'm, I'm leaning on the fact that like Oregon State's not been beaten soundly all year. Like Again, eight combined points and three losses. They've been a couple of plays from winning some of those games. They've got a run game that's really hard to slow down and I, and while I'm confident that Oregon can do a better job than last year because basically anything would be a better job than last year um I don't know if it's going to be quite enough to just shut them down and run away in this one so I'm going 35 24 I'll stick with that score um I could see a game closer to Matt for sure um I could also see a game where it's like down to the final couple possessions and and, and that's sort of where I'm landing so um, Ducks by 11 in a game that, again, they win. They go to go to play Washington again in Vegas. We get to talk about a f- lot of fun stuff next week. I'm knocking on wood that this prediction comes to pass because I think uh, Oregon-Washington Part 2 could be one of the more exciting games I've covered in my time doing this. It sure would be. It sure would be. Um, I have Oregon winning 38-24. to 24. Uh, I think that's even a little bit too high to me for Oregon's 38. Um, not to say that I don't think that they'll do well. This game just is so very rarely not like a one-score game. And Oregon State has nothing to play for, which means they have everything to play for. And, you know, if if your season's over and you can go and ruin your rival season and do it for the second straight year in the row, like that's what I'm going to want to do if I'm playing for the Oregon State Beavers. And... If I'm Oregon, like Matt laid it out, like there's a lot of senior night emotions, things like that. Um, it's a Friday night game. It's a little bit different all around. Oregon just came off of a nice win against Arizona State, so that definitely helps them that they don't necessarily have to rest up and heal like they would have if they played Utah the week before. That certainly helps. And you know, Oregon State's coming off the Washington game. Um, I don't know how much the Jonathan Smith distractions are going to factor into this game. I don't think any, if at all. I don't think it's going to be like how Mario was for Oregon. Um, I think it'll be more of like, let's rally around Jonathan Smith because it's not his fault that he's leaving. It's more or less like the conference's fault that he's leaving. And just, you know, he's he's doing what's right for him and his family more so than anything else. Um, but I still think that Oregon gets the job done. Uh, I still think that Bo Nix has a good day. I still think that he helps solidify his Heisman candidacy. Um, I think that Oregon tries to get a little bit more on the ground than they have the last couple of weeks with Bucky Irving and Jordan James. Um, I just don't think it'll be that high scoring because I think Oregon State is going to understand that what they have to do is have that 16 play, a 75 yard, 10 minute drive like they did against Washington. And 
10 minutes for bonuses in the sideline is not going to help how many points are being scored. Um, but it'll all come down to if Oregon can stop the run or not. And Damian Martinez and Deshaun Fenwick, if they get going, it, it could be a long day at the office for Oregon. But uh, I have them winning by 14. That's covering the spread in some places, not covering the spread in other places. Again, you know, my heart is telling me that it's going to be a little bit closer than that. Um, I'm not I'm not as bullish as uh, the other guys here. I just think it's going to be a good, close game. I think that Oregon State's going to come hard and really come ready to play. But, you know, Oregon will eventually remain victorious. I'll make the executive call. The line that I went off of is 13-and-a-half, so a 14-point win gives you the cover. Sure, but some some books <laughs> do and do not have it. Um, I've seen some like 14-and-a-half. So, But Caesars, the official sports yes. book, 24-7 sports, says 13-and-a-half. So we'll give you the cover. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Uh, next time you hear from us, we'll be Friday night recapping the game. Um, hopefully not the last version of this rivalry, but for now it is. Um, until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Happy Thanksgiving, folks. Peace.